Welcome to another vital message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Today, uh, we're going to be going to John the seventh chapter, if you have your words. You can, uh, you can open your words to John chapter 7. And today, I'm going to talk to you about the fact that the joy of the Lord is our strength, okay? How many of you have been needing a little extra strength? Anybody here? Anybody here been waking up a little more tired or kind of going to bed a little more tired or during the middle of the day just kind of huffing and puffing a little bit and going, okay, once again, you know? Uh, yeah, it takes a little extra energy perhaps to get through some moments that, uh, that the world is facing and that we're facing. But listen, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And you will see how this comes into play in just a moment and how you can uh, participate and make a little investment in order to get that joy as a return. Well, today, by the way, is the second day of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a yearly event. Uh, it's it's a, a feast that God ordained for the children of Israel to observe once a year. Basically, the Feast of Tabernacles begins at the first, at the first of each new year, according to God's calendar. The Bible calendar says that, that, that we're in the new year, okay? We're in the month of Tishri. And uh, the first full moon of every new year, which generally occurs, in October, the first full moon of every biblical new year, the next day begins the Feast of Tabernacle. Isn't that neat? I love that. And the Feast of Tabernacle is a time when God told the children of Israel to go out and gather sticks and palm branches and leafy branches and olive branches and to come back home and to build a little tabernacle. Now, Tabernacle does not mean church. Tabernacle means dwelling place. Okay, Very important. When we think of tabernacle, we think about church. No. This is a little one-room dwelling place. Okay, Tabernacle means booth. It means uh, a little, a little uh, lean-to. Okay? And it's primitive and it's made out of natural materials. You know? Uh, and, it's, and, it's, and it's meant to look temporary and it's meant to be temporary because it is a symbol of how God when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt and on their way to the promised land how they lived in temporary dwellings they didn't have a chance every time they camped to build a house so they just lived in temporary shelters tabernacles okay and that's what this word means to tabernacle and while the children of Israel were living in their little tabernacles okay all over the wilderness they would go to the next place you know and they would camp there and they would build little tabernacles many times they would go to the mountains you know, I mean we think that all of them had tents there was quite a lot of them and they may not all have owned tents at that time and they may have gotten to put their tent up here and there but to commemorate this each year God said, I want you to remember how I led your forefathers out and brought them out of bondage and they lived in little temporary shelters called tabernacles. They could see through the sticks 
and see the stars and see their surroundings. It is all symbolic as God does symbolic things in the Old Testament to teach us New Testament principles and to share with us a future that he has for us. While the children of Israel were camped out in the wilderness in their little tabernacles, okay, temporary dwellings, God had also his tabernacle in the very middle of that big group. Y'all remember the tent that he lived in, okay? that the Ark of the Covenant was in. That was the tabernacle of God. That was the dwelling place of God. That's what tabernacle means, dwelling place, booth, tent. But it is a temporary existence. Well, today we live in a tabernacle. And the Feast of Tabernacles was designed to remind us that even if we lost everything, which is nothing, that we still have God covering us. And we're, we're, we're in a temporary situation. And one of the things about these little tabernacles, it, there's no room for storage. Okay? No room for a lot of personal stuff. All right? Well, that's the way it is in our little tabernacle, okay? This is temporary, and do you know what? Whenever I leave this temporary little tabernacle, I can't, I mean, there, there, there's no room for a lot of baggage. I shouldn't be having a lot of baggage. I'm, 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 I'm trying to store all the time and not storing up for myself riches because I can't take it with me because I'm going to be moving to one day a permanent tabernacle not made with hands. Built by God in the heaven. Jesus said it this way. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare. Listen to what he said. In my father's house are many mansions. Okay. In my father's house. That word house can mean kingdom. It can mean property. Here's, here's how I like to think about it. You know, On my father's property, there are a lot of little tabernacles. You know, God lives and is going to live one day right in the middle of us. He is going to tabernacle with us. And that's what the feast points to. It points to a future event whenever God is going to tabernacle with us. And we're going to live in these mansions, these little, these, 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 these little dwellings that God has made all around us. And Jesus will live with us. It, it is a wonderful picture of an eternity that will be permanent. But right now, this temporary natural moment is what we are in and that's what the feast of tabernacles is. it started two days ago you may have noticed a full moon recently okay well listen whenever we get to this season of the year and you see that full moon just remember that full moon means something on God's calendar okay uh, it, it you know it's it's amazing you know in six months we'll have a Passover on a full moon Okay? And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread will begin. You know, uh, these full moons and these new moons mean something on God's calendar. They mark different feasts. And they're intended to be a reminder to us. Like the rainbow is intended to be a reminder to us of a covenant we have with God. Now that's a covenant between God and man. Okay? This rainbow to remind us that God will not destroy the earth. God sets things in the heavens for signs. Okay, uh, I mean, that's what the word says. Well, uh, the reminder that we are just pilgrims, 
passing through, living in this temporary structure, but we are on a journey together. The Feast of Tabernacles is one of the most joyous times of the year. It's designed for us to, 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 to put away our sorrow, put away our drudgery, Put away all the stuff that we went through last year and all the stuff that's going on, all the stuff that's going on outside uh, you know, uh, 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 our, our little tabernacle, okay? And to focus on the fact that this is a joyful time as we realize that we have a great future. Oh, listen, uh, it's, it's amazing, okay? Um, and uh, as I said earlier, uh, this is the second day of this seven-day feast, and uh, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. The Jews have been celebrating it for about 3,500 years. Uh, I have Jewish friends right now living in Israel that if you went to their backyard, you would see they've gotten some twigs and sticks. Twigs. They've gotten some twigs and sticks. <laughs> oh, that's not easy to say. Okay. They've gotten some twigs, some sticks, some leaf branches, and they've made them a little, you know, just, just enough for them and their, you know, they, 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 got, they got, you know, three kids, just enough for them and their kids to get in. And even though they don't consider themselves to be religious, nonetheless, they make one of those every year. And they, you know, many people move out there and live in it for seven days, you know, uh, and, and many people go out there and pray. They choose each year to go out and have their meals outside just to remember and to be reminded that this is enough. With Jesus, with God, this is enough. Um, well, you know, not only have the, we've been celebrating this for 3,500 years, but for the first 1,500 years, up until the time of Jesus, the Jews celebrated it. And when Jesus came along, he celebrated it. Okay? He and his family, you know, uh, Mary, Joseph, the brothers of Jesus, his sisters, half-brothers and half-sisters, they all celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. It was, it, 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 it was an important time in his world as well. And that's what's happening when we get to John chapter 7. Okay, Let's, let's uh, read in John chapter 7, uh, verse 2. Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. Okay? This was a yearly thing that came along, you know, uh, and, and so here in John chapter 7, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's almost there. That full moon is almost there. I mean, it's coming between the new moon and the full moon. Yay! You know, New Year celebration, wonderful. And verse 3, Jesus' brothers therefore said to Jesus, depart from here and go into Judea. You know, leave Galilee, go on down to Jerusalem. That your disciples, uh, th th those people that are following you, who, th who think you're somebody, they may also see your works, the works that you are doing. And verse 4, uh, for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Oh, what a testimony. What a, what a sad day. <laughs> The brothers of Jesus didn't even believe that he was anybody special, you know. Uh, it, it appears that Jesus' brothers were really trying to make a little sport of Jesus. They were making a little fun of Jesus. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Jesus, somebody making fun of him? Anybody ever made fun of you? Well, Jesus had, you know, people made fun of him too. His brothers, his family made fun of him. Oh, go on down, show yourself. <laughs> he thinks he's somebody. You know, maybe they were just tired of him, you know, being right all the time. I don't know. That's the way it was in my family. 
All right. But at any rate, Jesus told them, you can read the story. Jesus said, no, you guys go on down there. Go on myself, you know. Uh, he, he, he wasn't going to be prodded by them. And they said, well, go on, go on, big boy. Go on. Show your stuff down there. You know? He said, no, you go on. They went on ahead. And then Jesus secretly, privately went on to Jerusalem himself. He didn't want a lot of fanfare because there was a lot of noise about what was happening. And he knew it was not his time. He knew it was not, that this was not the time of the year, the season of the year, that he was supposed to be, you know, arrested and, and, and crucified, you know. He's going to be the lamb of God. He's going to be sacrificed. But this was not the season. This was not the time. You know, it was the Passover season he was waiting for. He said, no, this is basically, this is not the feast. This is not the time. You know, you guys go ahead. And then he went down without a lot of fanfare. Didn't want to draw attention to himself. And when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, everybody was talking about him. And Jesus made a few public addresses. He talked to a few people. But listen, it, was, it, it, it seemed that people more, were more interested in their opinion about him than in who he really was. I mean, some people said he's this. Some people said he's that. I mean, they, they were all over the board. Some people thought that he was, you know, the Messiah. And other people said, no, nah, he's demon-possessed. I mean, it was just everywhere, all over the place. Well, uh, we, we get down to John chapter uh, 7, verse 37. Okay? Jesus is in Jerusalem now. And it's the last day of the feast. And that's what it says in verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast... This is the day whenever they go to the water gate and, and draw water and go to the water gate there at the temple and pour it out. And it, it's real symbolic on that last great day of the feast. And Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Now, uh, Jesus is pretty much declaring himself here as the one that can provide those living waters for everybody. It's just amazing now. He's making a public cry, a public declaration. Verse 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Verse 40, therefore many from the crowd when they heard this saying said, truly this is a prophet. <laughs> Others said, this is Christ, the Messiah. But some said, will Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? I mean, they, they were all over the place. First of all, they didn't know what they were talking about. He did come from Bethlehem, but they didn't know that. I mean, so many people talk about things they don't know nothing about. They make their mind up. Does it ever scare you that the only way that you can make a decision is on the limited amount of information you have about that subject at any time? I know I said that quickly. Let me say it again. Okay. <laughs> Because I have been saying this to myself so much for a lot of years. Does it ever scare you that the only way that you can make a decision is based on the limited amount of information that you have about that subject at that time? There's no other way you can make a decision. Every decision and every opinion you have is based on the limited amount of information that you currently possess on that subject. Wow, that just amazes me. Because I don't know everything. I mean, these people didn't know. They, they, they had no idea, but yet they had their opinions, their strong opinions, and people are listening to this, and they were here, and they were there, and look what verse 43 says. This is interesting, isn't it? Now, the Bible says, so there was a division among the people because of Jesus. 
Well, that just lays all the blame on Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus, there was a division among the people because of Jesus. And if you continue to read, you would see that people were arguing amongst themselves and even with their superiors. I mean, some of the, some of the uh, soldiers wanted to arrest him and some of them didn't. They, they, they thought, no, man, he's speaking like this. They went back and they got in trouble with the chief priest because they didn't arrest him. And, and they're going back and forth and people are saying, well, no, he may be Christ. Well, no, he may be demon possessed. Well, you know, I mean, hell no, he's a deceiver. And he, I mean, on and on. They were everywhere. And all of this was because of Jesus there were people that were angry there were people that were offended sometimes you know some people were inspired by what Jesus said and some people got mad about what he said the same words do you know that the same words can make some people happy and make other people angry same words such division. There was division and argument and debate and, and, and drama. Debate. Let's stay off that one. Lord <laughs> Jesus, what an embarrassment to our world. But, yeah, I should have got an ovation for that one. Um, <laughs> I know I'm stepping on some toes. Please listen to me for just a moment, okay? Listen, just, just a minute, okay? Jesus had been sent by God to save the world. He was doing everything he could. He was doing what, he, what was really best. But in John chapter 7, all there was was division all over the place. From his family, his brothers, to the chief priest, everybody had something different. Either they wanted to argue with him, they wanted to make fun with him, uh, of him, they, they, they wanted him arrested, they wanted him crucified. Can you imagine? Let me tell you, that particular Feast of Tabernacles, that in that time, that was one crazy messed up world. Can you think about it? What in the world were all these people so angry about? What made them so angry? And who made them so angry? It wasn't Jesus. And as if that was not enough, Jesus goes to bed that night, gets up the next morning, walks back into the city, and chapter 8 begins with the Pharisees bringing a woman to him, caught in, adultery, caught in adultery, trying to get Jesus to incriminate himself. I mean, what in the world is going on? Have you ever noticed that... The Bible seems to be filled with people mad about something, trying to discredit the very people that God sends to help, from Noah to David, you know, uh, from, from Moses to the Apostle Paul. How many times was Moses attacked by people? And he was really just trying to help. How many times was Jesus or the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul would walk into a city and all he wanted to do was heal people and help people and encourage people and deliver them from sin and get them living right with God and get them into an eternity in heaven and they would throw rocks at him. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, come on now. The Bible's filled with this. I know your brains are spinning because what's happening here is you're all choosing your own person. Let's look at Jesus for a moment, okay? <laughs> Let's, let's read what Jesus is saying. 
Because there's plenty of rock throwing on, throwing all through history by everybody. Okay? But Jesus is our example. And we are called to live like Jesus, not like anybody else. We are called to support Jesus, not anybody else. But if Jesus is our example, then one day we may all be crucified for just trying to help somebody. I didn't say that he did. What is it about people that they just don't want help? Why is, why is America so divided today? I know we all have our own opinions, just like they did on that piece of tabernacles. Here we stand, okay? Uh, we are standing here 2,000 years after that Feast of Tabernacles at another Feast of Tabernacles, and our world is just as divided as that was. Why? It looks like we'd have made progress. Especially with Jesus on the scene. Well, John 7, 43. So there was a division among the people because of Jesus. Why? Why is America so divided today? Let me tell you. Because of Jesus. Because where people stand on him. Where people stand with him. Who is he? Do not imagine it is anything less than people not acting like Jesus. Not accepting him. Not submitting to him. Not bowing their lives to him. Not bowing their opinions to him. Not realizing that he is Lord. That he is Savior. That he has the way. He is the one way. He is the truth. He is the life. And everybody else who does not act like, think like, and live like Christ is going to be divided into many different camps. Don't imagine it's anything less. I'm here to tell you this morning, the devil is a liar. The devil is a hater. The devil is a deceiver. The devil hates God. The devil hates you. The devil hates anything good, anything decent. And he is trying his best. He's doing everything he can think of, trying to get people to divide instead of coming together around Christ. He's trying to divide families. He's trying to divide communities. He's trying to divide our, our, our churches all across America and around the world. The devil is doing his best to divide people. But let me tell you, he cannot accomplish his will unless he can find one person to work with him. And there are some things that we need to do. And this morning, I'm going to give us three things to do in the midst of this moment of division. Three things. What can we do to stop the devil in his tracks? Because I'm telling you what we're seeing. What we are seeing is nothing less than the result of people not living like Christ. And that's the only answer that's going to fix it. There's, you know, we could get out of one hell and just get right back into another and we've been doing that for generations three things that we as a church we should know better okay 
I mean, sitting out here, we, they're, 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 you know, uh, we, we have uh, black families, white families, Hispanic families. We have young. We have old. We have people who, you know, uh, are, are, are blue-collar, people who are white-collar. Look at us. We're all together here by choice after the crud that has gone on in our nation. There's no difference in, our, in, 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 in us. Not, not, you know, I mean, what, what's different between you and Pastor Robert and Charlotte? Nothing. We know this. And we are responsible to shine a light. There are three things that God needs us to do because, you know, things haven't gotten a whole lot better with the world in charge of the world. Okay? Okay, three things. Number one thing, I know this is going to sound like first grade, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway because this is what I received from the Lord to give to you. This is from God. Let me tell you, a thus saith the Lord, and that means that, uh, you know, uh, Brenda can tell you how much it means for me to step out of a doctrinal instruction and to tell you that God is speaking through me. Okay? So you receive this as a word from the Lord today, a rhema word from God. Number one, God needs you to pray. Okay, I'm praying and talking about it to somebody else are not the same. Praying and worrying, praying and being angry, praying and being frustrated, praying and, you know, uh, it's different. Prayer is the most powerful weapon Known to mankind. Pray, 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 okay? And let me tell you, the most needed prayer that we can pray is often prayer for ourselves. You need to pray for you, okay? First. The Word of God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and, and, and every uh, 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 thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Every other high thing that wants to claim its right or its opinion, we cast it down. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What is he talking about? He's talking about a battle that's going on there. He's talking about a battle, and he's talking about us needing to win the battle, but the battle is in our mind, casting down imaginations, not other people, and everything, not arguments to other people, but arguing with ourselves in prayer, coming before God and honestly bearing our soul to him so that he can speak to us about how we feel and about our goals and about what we need to do. We need prayer. You need prayer. I need prayer. I can pray for you. You can pray for me and you should. But let me tell you who you really should be praying for. You should be praying for you. Because we cannot afford to allow our own arguments Casting down arguments, imaginations. We cannot allow our own imaginations, our own arguments to run rampant. We must bring them into the obedience of Christ. A second thing that God needs you to do is to stand strong. 
God needs you to stay above the crowd. Stay above the crowd. We need to be uncommon people. Stand strong. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not our own might, but his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes, the noema of the devil, the things that he, his goals, his purposes. Because God understands we have an enemy out here that is really trying to sell every one of us a different bill of goods. And he's using other people. He's using loud voices. He's using circumstances, situations. He's trying to, you know, like, like trying to trick Jesus and bring that woman before you. Are you going to condemn? You're going to, you know, where, where, where are you? All the different voices. We need to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But we are wrestling against principalities, against power. Let me tell you, you know, uh, the Republicans are not our problem. The Democrats are not our problem. We are not uh, inundated. You know, the Supreme Court or who sits on the Supreme Court is not our problem. We may have an opportunity to speak into these things. But let me tell you, the problem is that people are not following Christ. And we as Christians should be. We need to stand strong, realizing that we are not wrestling against Republicans. We are not wrestling against Democrats. We are not wrestling against Fox News. We are not wrestling against CNN. We are not wrestling against a black. We are not wrestling against white. We are not wrestling against Hispanic. We are not wrestling against teachers. We're not wrestling against COVID. We are not wrestling with anything other than principalities and powers and spiritual forces and wickedness in high places. We are wrestling against a prince of this world that hates you and wants to destroy your life and wants to upset you and do everything he can to take your joy and rob your family of unity and rob your community and rob other people of an eternity in heaven. I know I'm getting loud and I'm not mad. I'm just loud. I want you to know that God expects more from us. He needs more from us. Oh, I pray he never gets tired of being my Savior. I pray I never get tired of being his light. Pray for yourself. Stand strong. Therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. I think he was talking about today. And having done all to stand, stand. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Stand, therefore, having your loins, uh, uh, your, your, your waist, uh, uh, girded your waist with truth. I memorized this in the King James. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can quote it in the King James. This is the new King James. It's uh, the, the written down here. And uh, uh, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith. I trust you, God. Uh, let me tell you. And, and with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Whew. Glory to God. Number three. Number one, we need to pray for ourselves. God wants you to pray for yourself. Number two, he wants you to stand strong. He wants you to be above the crowd. And in order to do that, you're going to have to realize who your enemy is and realize who your enemy is not. Okay. I am not your enemy. You are not my enemy. My wrestle is against spiritual wickedness, forces of darkness, 
demons. The devil is our problem. That's what God sees. Pray, stand strong. And number three, this is going to be a tough one, but I'm going to tell you how to do it. Be joyful. Boy, I've been preaching to myself. I told my, my son, I was talking to him early in the morning, you know, you know, after midnight. I was talking to him last night, and we were talking about this, you know. Uh, and he said, that's a good word, Dad. I said, I know. I've got to preach to myself five or six more times before I get there tomorrow because this is one of my problems is that I, I hadn't had a whole lot of joy. I've been kind of frustrated, aggravated, irritated. I mean, you know, but God needs us to stand above the crowd. He needs us to stand strong and he needs us to be joyful. You know, 2,000 years ago, at the Feast of Tabernacles, we read John 7. But let me take you 400 years earlier, 420 or 30 years earlier, back to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah at another Feast of Tabernacles. It was a new year, and they were celebrating because there were enemies all around Jerusalem, but the wall had been built, and Ezra was there, and they found the word of God, and Ezra got up at the water gate, you know, where the pouring of the water on the Feast of Tabernacles happens, where Jesus was doing this, and Ezra began to preach and teach. Now, Ezra is going to tell them something. You can read about it in the eighth chapter of Nehemiah. Ezra is going to tell them, I want you to go out to the hills, and I want you to get some sticks, and I want you to get some leafy branches, and I want you to get some palm branches, and, and some olive, and I want you to build some little tabernacles because we're going to do this he said to all the people there even though our enemies are all around us and even though that we're surrounded and even though things may look bad and 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 and, and, and we've been divided for years and you know we're coming together now he said we're going to come together and the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go out and have a feast of tabernacles in our little shelters get out of your houses and get out here in the open where you can realize that you don't have anything and you're not taking anything with you and God is your covering and God is your grace and you begin to thank him for him one day he's dwelling with us and this is a reminder that everything's gonna be okay that we have we can afford something what could they afford what he told them as a part of his sermon he preaches it better than I do he said in the eighth chapter of Nehemiah in verse 10 look what he said then he said to them go your way Eat the fat, drink the sweet. Now, this, uh, this is his message. Go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet. What's he saying? He's saying, come on, party a little bit. Come on now. Get yourself out of your funk and party a little bit. He said, come on now. Go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet. Send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. Come on, be generous. You know, give out a little bit. Come on now. Get this, get this going in your life. He said, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow. Because they had been so sorrowful. They had been so sad. Read about it. They were sad. He said, this is not going to work. Being sad all the time is not going to work. 
being frustrated and angry and irritated all the it's not going to work for you what i need you to do he said is i need you to get out there come on now get yourself something good to eat get yourself something good to drink and be generous and give you know make an investment here in your own joy sow some seeds of a little happiness here why he said do not sorrow for the joy of the lord is your strength let me tell you what we need we need to pray for ourselves we need to stand strong but in order to stand strong you're gonna need some strength I and mean, when you can't have any strength without joy Amen. anger does not produce strength that joy gives us to stand above the crowd and to pray and to know by faith that almighty god has a plan for our life here's what god needs us to do he needs us to pray for ourselves he needs us to make sure that we're standing strong and above the crowd and not just running with the crowd not just living in an echo chamber of our six best friends he needs us to be a voice not be an echo and number three he needs us to make an investment in our own joy if you'll sow a few seeds, I, I, I commission you to have a good time this week. Make yourself, I'm going to make myself have a good time. I am just, I am just going to, uh, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to make myself have a good time this week. I'm going to do something. I'm going to eat some fat. I'm going to drink some sweet. And I'm going to be generous to everybody I see. I'm going to buy somebody's lunch today. Glory to God. I'm going to, even if they don't need it. I just, oh, come on now. We need to make an investment and get ourselves out of this junk that the world is in because we're supposed to shine like a light. We're not supposed to be drawn up somewhere in living in a in a cave eating tribulation food come on now i'm no ezra but i can tell you that our god is an all-consuming fire he's filled with love and grace and mercy and he has not and he will not leave us alone this is not his worst day this is a good day for him therefore i am going to pray i am going to stand strong and i am determined i'm going to be happy I'm going to be joyful in the name of Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Thanks again for joining us for another relevant word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.